Hello, and welcome to Once More with Commentary, a Buffy and Angel podcast. I'm Ginny. I'm Allie. And today we're uh, still going through season seven of Buffy. And still, you say that like still. It's like we're on like episode eight. I meant to be like, <laughs> we're on season seven of Buffy, but we're doing this on a Monday night and it just didn't come out right. Um, anyway, season seven of Buffy, season four of Angel, we're talking about Sleeper and Habeas Corpses, which is still to date probably <laughs> the best title that either show has ever come up with. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I was like writing notes and I was like, Habeas. Habeas. How do I? How do you spell habeas? Oh, <laughs> uh, I love it. Um, it is a great punny title. It's two in a row that they've had. That's pretty good, actually. Apocalypse Nowish being the other. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was pretty good. I habeas corpse is just really funny to me. Like I feel like <laughs> you can build a whole show off of just that phrase because well, it's just so funny. Especially because when you realize why it's right, called why that, they, you're yeah. like, this is the best thing they could have named this. Episode. But like, it didn't even matter to me what happened in the episode. I was like, you, you kind of got me a little bit. I'm just into it. But like anyway. even the fact that but but be, I think because it's about lawyers like I'm yeah like, for oh, sure yes, <laughs> because it's so about funny. lawyers zombies uh, yeah no being held in a building I think there's a lot to work with there yes yeah um, all right well you mentioned it's Monday night mm-hmm. um, which is not our usual mo it's um, not how you doing you know <laughs> Monday. it's very Monday <laughs> Mondays am I right <laughs> I know I know I. What's all the lame I, Monday jokes we can make? Oh, my God. I try to be, like, there on a Monday. I, I got to work on, on time, which is to say, like, 10 minutes early today for the first time in months. And it felt really good, but I just squandered that time. So hopefully none of my coworkers are listening to this. I don't think that they do. I definitely don't waste time at work ever. But I did uh, order very unnecessary eyeshadow, like, a month and a half ago. And it took forever to get here. And then it got here when my brother was visiting for the weekend. So there just hasn't been a, a time to to play with it and I got to play with it tonight and I'm really excited about it. It's like, it's this cool duochrome. I don't know where I'm going to wear it. (laughs) I can't wear it to work, but, or I'm not (laughs) going to, but it looks really cool right now. So there's some holidays coming up. Everybody know that I'm wearing this really cool, uh, eyeshadow and it shifts from purple to blue, depending on the light. It's also like nighttime is not the right time to test a duochrome because like sunlight will really, you know, make it come to its full potential, but Whatever. Also, a non-visual podcast medium. <laughs> For everyone, you don't know what I look like, just pretend you do and pretend you can see the eyeshadow on me. I can't see it, and I'm also sitting here, like, silently nodding, trying to pretend <laughs> I know what dual chrome means. You know what a dual chrome is? It just shifts it, color. You know, when you just, okay. t- tint it, tilt it to the side, it looks one way, and you tilt it to the other side, it looks another way. Sure. That's There's, like, car paint that looks like that. There's nail polishes that look like that. I said it to my brother... <laughs> He said, I forget what he said, but he was like, oh, like this kind of paint. And he was talking about paint that he uses to paint little miniature figures for all of his uh, board games. I was like, <laughs> this is really, it applies to everything. My dad would know You're what I was like, talking yes, about. you could use my eyeshadow for that. <laughs> well, no, no, no. You couldn't use it for that. But that effect, I was like, oh, it's cool because it's duochrome. And he was like, oh, like this. I, I can't remember what it was. But anyway, it was kind of, it was kind of funny. Way to, way to bond <laughs> with my brother who definitely doesn't care about eyeshadow. Anyway, how are you? I'm good. Um, I'm drinking canned wine. Which <laughs> okay. I'm not yeah. sure I recommend, but I had leftovers. Um, is it that so Sofia weekend, Coppola one, or is it a different one? It's it's a. I don't actually. Wait, what did you say? What brand did you? Say? I said, is it that Sofia Coppola one? No, no. It's um. I don't remember the name of it. That it's one's like champagne. Pomelo or like something like that. Okay. Um. I mean, I've had I, no, canned I, wine. Could be worse. I went um, on Saturday night. We had. Oh yeah. Um, we had trivia finals, which 
we came in fifth, so that was fun. But we went out afterwards to karaoke, and we went to a karaoke place where you they didn't have, like, a bar, so, like, you couldn't drink, and mm. you weren't supposed to bring it in, but, like, obviously we did. So mm-hmm. I bought two cans of, like, wine, one of which was, like, sparkling rosé, which I truly cannot tell anyone in good faith to ever drink that. Okay. Like, don't <laughs> drink sparkling pink wine out of a can. Just don't. Um, but I had a leftover um, can from that. So I was like, well, it's, we're doing a 6 p.m. podcast on a Monday. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a segue from that. Nope. Um, <laughs> nope. Uh, Spike drank some blood. There we go. Okay. We got it. Nailed it. <clears throat> yeah. I'm going to have to work on that. Uh, okay. Well, let's do it. Let's talk about sleeper. Mm-hmm. Okay. So did you expect, uh, just a quick question, because I, I did not remember what this was, and I guess I really wasn't expecting right after Conversations with Dead People to have such a tight, like, a, a story with such a tight focus. Like, we really dropped the ball on the two other scenarios that we watched, yeah. right? Like, this is only focused on one. Um, I mean, I remember this episode va- pretty much. Not totally. Well... Let's uh, let's hold, hold that thought. Um, so sleeper, it, yes, like you said. I mean, it really came exactly off the tails of the last episode, which is to say that Don and Willow were visited by spirits or something. You know, something disguised as spirits. Um, and Buffy had this conversation with her old pal, whatever his name was, and um, Holden. Yeah, sure, <laughs> Holden. I already forgot his name, but I remember his face who revealed to her right before she killed him that uh, Spike sired him. So now she's worried and suspicious about what Spike's been up to and, you know, yada, yada, yada. So, yeah, I mean, kind of like you said, honestly, the Willow and and Don parts pretty much get the shaft other than, you know, they have there is a brief conversation and Buffy does come home to find the house in pieces. And of course, she's worried for Don and also kind of gets filled in on what what happened to the two of them. You know, Willow, because of the way her visit went down, is pretty convinced that this whole thing was a setup and it's not real. But of course, they don't know that for sure, especially because Dawn's was so convoluted and there was also this like darker demon that was tra- stopping her mom. So she really isn't sure what to think. But they don't really come to a conclusion, I don't think, or at least not a solid one. Um, and meanwhile, pretty much the rest of the episode is spent on Buffy and Spike and them trying to figure out what happened. So, you know, she goes to Xander's house where Spike is living. She... Uh, she and Xander kind of talk through the scenario and like, what could be going on? Could he be doing this? Could he not be doing this? You know, she's convinced that he can't because of his chip and because he has a soul now. And Xander, you know, asks her some good questions about like, well, have you seen that? Or do you know, is it just because he told you that he can't do it? Et cetera, et cetera. Um, so she doesn't want to quite let on to spike what she thinks is going on. So at first she kind of just puts everybody on his tail. Um, and after, you know, I guess, to be honest, I'm a little bit fuzzy on the timeline now that I'm trying to say it out loud. But basically, she we see that Spike is is doing this. We saw him do it in the last episode. At the beginning of this episode, he's burying the body that we saw last week. And then we see him kind of go seduce another woman um, and just keep doing this same thing. Um, Buffy does eventually confront him about it, and he seems to be genuinely offended at her question, you know, at the idea that he could do this now that he has a soul and he's been reliving all, you know, his crimes in detail, in great detail and, you know, feeling awful about it. And also because he just doesn't want her to think about him that way. Um, 
so he's convinced that he's not doing it. She's not sure what to think. They both sort of do their own investigation. Spike tries to piece together. You know, he realizes that he doesn't remember all the details of the last, you know, few nights or few weeks. Not really sure how long it's been. Um, and essentially, yes, he has been doing this. He realizes he's been doing it because one of the people that he turned into a vampire, you know, meets him in the bronze again. Amy Mann is there. It's a great joke. Um, but yeah, Buffy and him kind of have this showdown. We see Spike is talking to these visions that he's been having since kind of the first episode, and it's dressed, you know, appears to look like him. Um, but yeah, I mean, th- something seems to snap him into it because he attacks Buffy. They have a fight, and he's able to snap out of it by the end. And then Buffy decides that they're going to use Spike because he's the one that seems to have a connection to whatever this thing is that's tormenting all of them, and she thinks she can get to it through him. I got really sloppy at the end, but I guess I was thinking this was a really straightforward episode, and I was like, oh, there were a lot of weird twists and turns for something that was essentially like, they find out Spike has been killing again, they don't know how he's doing it, they decide to use him as bait or something. Or way in. Or way in, yeah, thank you. Can you explain to me... You just briefly mentioned this, and I guess I didn't get it. What's the Amy Mann joke? Oh, she's just the person playing in the bronze. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you meant, like, there was some joke about vampires or something. Well, there was a joke about vampires because they... But I thought the joke was that it was Amy Mann. No, 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 no. Just a joke because she's, like, one of the only musicians that I've recognized on the show. I didn't recognize her. I didn't know that. Well, I had to look her up, but she's a known quantity, Whereas most of the time it's bands that I've never heard of or never heard from again. I mean, with a few exceptions. Yeah. I figured she must have been somebody because they spent a lot longer, uh, yeah. like, showing the performances. Um, yeah. And she got a line, but... Yeah. Yeah. I well, know I mean, was. and then, yes, to hit it on the head, yes, they also made a little joke, and I thought it was great. Spike gets in a brawl with his sire at the bronze and then stakes her and she... Is, you know, lands on the floor and turns into dust in front of the band. The band just stops for a second and just keeps going. And I was like, I guess they've played. Uh, they're pretty familiar with vampires. Like, <laughs> makes sense that if they're playing at the bronze and then at later scene, she made a little joke about like, I hate vampire towns. And I was like, you know, honestly, well played. <laughs> um, yeah. So this episode, like I was saying, but before you started recapping, um, it it, it does jump to this, like, hyper-specific focus of, like, what's going on with Spike. And we still don't really know because no. they don't get a lot of answers in this episode. So we still don't know, like, who it is that Spike has been seeing. Because we do see him imagining people again. And in this episode, it's either looks like Buffy or mm-hmm. looks like Spike. Yeah, I left out the so Buffy one. So he is seeing something. Um, so we do continue to see that. And it, it is clear that, like, this entity or whatever has clearly implanted something with like so that song plays and spike kind of goes like into his like sleeper mode no if it Um, was super obvious that that was the connection or not well Eh. i thought it was because he was humming it and then there the harmonica player was playing it and then like i think you only spike was in the basement with buffy his other invisible self started started saying it it. yeah Yeah. i'm just not sure if that would be obvious because they that definitely comes up again later i i don't think you would have noticed a harmonica if you didn't know it was coming yeah well, maybe I know this as a repeat viewer, yeah. but... Um, Hard to say, yeah. Yeah, so but we do see this happening, and we do solve the ans- like the question of, like, did Spike really sire this guy? And the answer is yes, and mm-hmm. here's all the other victims, because they all rise at the same time, and Buffy has to fight them off right. while <laughs> fighting Spike as well. Um, 
And it, you know, it, it does answer some questions and it raises a lot of new ones. Um, and I guess before we talk about maybe what it means for like the rest of the season, I had a burning question after okay. this, especially after just going through the episode with Anya, who we also see in this episode because she's kind of enlisted to babysit Spike. Mm-hmm. So Anya kills all these people. Yeah, and I mean, I have, Buffy's yeah. response is that she just immediately has to kill Anya. Yeah. And Spike kills all these people, and Buffy's horrified and shocked, but immediately like, oh, you didn't know what you were doing, and and telling her friends, like, I'm going to keep him in the house, he's a victim. Like, And I know that the situations were different, but given that in the past we have talked about this weird double standard that they have for Spike and other demons, especially the weird difference in treatments between Anya and Spike, that really kind of raised some hackles because I like obviously Buffy is like witnessing this go down a little bit and so she can see that Spike isn't totally in control but you could also argue that Anya being a demon is also not totally in control and like do you think that the the hairs that they're splitting essentially are just again going back to this question of like a soul because I think that they are going back to that and that's why I think it's pretty weak I have to say though I mean just to be clear I'm on team we should have given Anya a chance and not a team we should be killing Spike in this moment no I do absolutely think that are, but I just think like given that there was an episode not I know two episodes I, ago where Buffy goes on the hunt to kill Anya and I, here Spike is like kill me and she's like no I think <laughs> I don't think you're wrong, and I had the exact same reaction when, like, the whatever words exactly come out of Buffy's mouth about it. I do think that if you if you examine it, they're not completely in the wrong because, kind of to your point, I mean, yes, Anya acted that way because she was a demon, but she specifically asked to become a demon again, whereas in this situation, Spike specifically tried to get a soul so that he could be better. Like, I do think that their motives are pretty different in the in this particular you know time period. But I don't think it's a good look, and I, I wish they could have written it a little bit more cleanly. I, I really, I agree that, like, even though, yes, I think on all the technicalities, they're in the right according to the rules that we've more or less been living with, but I don't think that it played well, especially to have it come out of Buffy's mouth, and especially that yeah. final scene. I, I mean, just to be clear, I don't think I like this episode, and I don't think, I think this is a thing that has always bugged me about this season. I don't like, I just don't really like the way they use Spike I think it's weird to have this, like, he can, like, the mechanics of this, I think, are are really stretching, stretching my belief. And so I think that's my biggest complaint, is it's just, like, I don't know. I So there's a lot of things that aren't working about this for me, but I definitely agree with that as a critique. I think, technically, it makes sense, but I don't think it's a good look for them. And I just, I hated that final scene where Buffy was, like, no, he's going to live here. And they're like, are you kidding? He's a psychopath again and he's murdering people. And she was like, nope, this is the reason. And I was like, a lot of this is not, is falling short. <laughs> I, mean, I think a lot of things are happening in that final scene. I think we're starting to see early threads of, yeah, you know, seeds, seeds being sto- sown yeah. for like this concept of Buffy as leader, right? Yeah. And, and, and there will be some conflicts down the line. And I, I think much like the Willow storyline last season, they are kind of starting that earlier than you might or than I might have originally remembered. Yeah. Um, and I agree with you. Like, I'm not questioning the technicalities of this. Like, I don't, again, I'm also not on team she should have killed Spike, but it raised a lot of, like, hackles because we have talked a bit about the unfair treatment 
between the two characters. And the other thing that it really brought to mind is this flaw that Buffy has that unfortunately the only person who ever really calls her out on it is Xander and so it comes across as petulant and jealous Mm -hmm. but he's not totally wrong and that she does have a different set of standards for the vampires that she has romantic feelings for and like she wouldn't necessarily admit right now that she has romantic feelings for Spike maybe she doesn't but she certainly does have empathy for him and she has some sort of level of caring and she is thinking through that lens instead of objectively. And I think so while too, she yeah. seems to be making objective decisions, and I think strategically she's not making incorrect decisions, I think having him around as a way to understand what's been happening is a smart idea. Mm-hmm. But I think, unfortunately, because it's also filtered through this idea of special treatment for your special sex friend, like, I, you know... Okay, but it, yeah, I have a couple of reactions to that. I, I I don't think Buffy's making a bad choice, but I did think, I don't know if this is the way it was intended or not, but it did feel pretty transparent to me at the end that she was just coming up with a reason to make this the case. Not that it, it didn't feel that genuine and earned to me that it really, we really have seen so little of this thing for her to really, I don't know. I don't think it is a good strategy, I guess is what I'm saying. I Do really, you think I, that she's really just trying to protect him, but that, I don't, that's not something that she can explain to her friends. I don't think the show thinks that, but yes, I personally think that. <laughs> I don't think that's how it was written, but it was that 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 last scene really grated on me because we do know that Buffy has this, you know, uh, uh, what's it called? She's got a, uh, God, words are failing me, but she's got a string of uh, self righteousness in her, and we've seen it come up a lot before. She's and she a just, superiority. She complex. just talked about it. Remember? Yeah, she was exactly. just diagnosed. Exactly, she just <laughs> talked about it. So yes, we do know that she has this, and I. Um, so when she comes at them with this, I've made the, yeah, I guess you're right. Maybe they are sowing the seeds and I never noticed it before for kind of some dissent and some rankling, but I don't think that she's making, I don't think she's being a good leader in this moment. I think she's come to a quick decision based on a lot of things. I don't think she's being objective about it at all. I, I don't begrudge her the, the final conclusion, but I do begrudge her positioning it as like, I'm the great and final strategist and I know exactly what's going on. So that's my biggest qualm. I'm sorry. I do want to go back to one thing that you said because in this season, we've been talking a lot about the unfair treatment of Anya and Spike as they are in season seven, but I don't want to forget that that cut both ways because for three seasons, Anya existed as a character and no, pretty much nobody ever questioned her or her, it's you know, true. her morals. So I, I just don't want to forget about that because that has gone the other way in terms of, specifically in terms of Anya and Spike before as well, where it's like, it's easy to hate Spike because he's been this horrible demon, but Anya was in almost exactly the same position and people never really said anything or even gave it you know, spoken aloud, let alone like really mold on it and had a whole episode and, about it. So and it's really worked both her, ways. Her past was played more for comedic exactly. than anything. No, you're not wrong. Like, and that is a great thing to call out. And, you know, maybe it's a unintentional metaphor of the show for the complexities <laughs> yeah, and yeah. gray areas of life and that, you know, think so. <laughs> you think you have certain codes of standards and, you know, you have to mold them fitting the circumstances. And that's not always an objective thing. Yeah, because, I would love to think I mean, that that the was the reason what their they tolerated was. Anya was because Xander was in love with her. So like, there was also kind of a special like yeah. exception being made in that scenario. So. I guess you're right. Really, what bothers me now that we're saying it is just how. And I don't think this is unrealistic. They're all in their early twenties. They have a lot of crazy experience, but they also still have a lot of flirting to do. I just don't think any of them are self aware enough to say like, "Hey, I've got some." Yeah, I have my own personal bias that are affecting my decisions, and we're 
do our best to navigate that. Like nobody is quite in the space to admit that part yet. So yeah, they're all making these not quite objective choices, which I think is totally valid, but none of them can quite admit it. And that is frustrating. Yeah. Um, and you know, maybe because there's no one yet calling them out from the outside about all of this. So, yeah, I, so this episode overall though, and where I recall, yes, whether or not we're supposed to pick up on that, song being the trigger or not. Yeah, I mean, this episode is called Sleeper. So yes, something is happening with Spike. I think this is my my big complaint kind of about the big bad in this season. I It is just so unknowable. And I think that's the way they've designed it. But like, I just don't understand the mechanics of brainwashing someone in this way. You know, I don't know. It's just like, we just see so weird, so few really concrete examples of like how this might have gone down and I understand that Spike was in a fragile place but like they just have I just feel like they're really taking liberties with like what I'll believe and I don't believe it I guess that's my complaint like I I just don't like it I think what you're what you're getting at and I think I agree is the motivations are really unclear what is happening because (laughs) what is the what is the goal of brainwashing Spike and having him do this other than once he realizes that you've broken him down emotionally. And there's also this indication that none of this is supposed to be happening yet. Like, Buffy is not supposed to be learning of this yet. Right. But, like, what is supposed to happen when she does learn about it? Right. And it's clear that this thing, and I I love that I'm talking about it, like, I don't know who this is and what's going on. But this, this thing is clearly hoping that Buffy is going to kill Spike. Like, that's the assumption of what's going to happen. And, you know... But the then other just Spike kill is very Spike. surprised when that doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, but what what that implies to me is that the ultimate goal of this is to somehow trigger the Slayer to kill Spike. But what is going to happen if that happens? Nothing. So, and yeah. maybe it goes all the way to the end of this season where we know Spike has a large role to play. And maybe it's kind of like in the last episode, um, Cassie telling Willow to kill herself. Like right. maybe it's this ploy to try to take out Buffy's support network. But it just seems like to that end, it came, why not just tell Spike to kill himself when he's in a fragile state already? Like, it seems like he was probably pretty susceptible to that. It just seems like a very convoluted way to get the Slayer involved, who's the one most powerful person who could probably stop your plan. So, like, why are are we doing this? Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of mechanics to get to a very simple result that seems built here for the drama and the mystery of, oh, my God, is Spike bad? But, like... No, exactly. And it I, doesn't work for any of those purposes because we know ultimately he's not. And at the end of this, I'm left wondering why did we just watch all of this? No, that was how I felt. I think this is a bad storyline. It, it's not my. I, it's not dropped at this point either. So we're gonna have to get through a little bit more of it. I think also on this level. This is it, this this on its own wouldn't be enough to make me not like this episode or the storyline. But coupled with everything else that we've already kind of touched on, I think I also really. You know, I get it. And Spike needs to have some sort of redemption arc, for lack of a better way to describe it, I think. Or else why have him in the show anymore, right? But I don't know that that means we need to... Like, it's just such a twisted way to go about that. Like, by punishing him again, by making him do more bad things. Like, I don't... You're right. Like, I don't believe that he's evil again. So why put me and him through this? Like, it's really not accomplishing anything thematically I don't think at least, uh, nothing that I, I can quite piece together you know what I mean I I think 
you meant this sincerely and I just really want to call out because I love this idea and I think you're right is like why put me through this? Yeah, like, no. You just like, why make me watch this? Like, yes, I do feel a little bit affronted that I was requested to put myself through this experience for nothing. Yeah, exactly. No, I I, I was being a little bit facetious, I, I think. I don't know. We'll, we'll have to roll tape on it and I'll, I'll can determine that, but... <laughs> Yeah, but I agree. No, I mean, like, it's like, how dare you? It's, as, you know, it's a it's a common sentiment I have watching Angel. But exactly. Not I know. Not Buffy. usually on Buffy. I know. We're totally flipped around this week, I think. I definitely liked yeah. Angel more than I liked Buffy. Not, yeah. Same. Yeah, I guess I, I guess I just mean to say, why go through all the trouble of proving to us that Spike can get his soul just to make him act evil again and out of his control? It, like, it's not even working for me on a tragic level, which is, I think, what they're going for of this, like, tragedy that he can't escape it. But, like, again, because the mechanics are so fuzzy and I don't think they're going to get any clearer. It's like if this were an episode that was a setup for a great reveal or a good explanation, I would kind of be with it. But, like, that was kind of my first note when we started watching. I was like, if I don't remember if we get a good explanation, but... But if it's just like fake Buffy told him to do this, like, I'm not impressed. (laughs) No, this is the frustration. And this is something we talked a a little bit when Glory came on the scene is like every big bad tops itself, Mm -hmm. right? Like the next one tops the next one. Like they all get a little bit bigger and they're different scenarios. And then ultimately they come to the natural conclusion, which is Buffy's fighting a god, right? Mm -hmm. And then Buffy beats the god. So where do you go from there? Your heroine can defeat the gods. So who is a big enough foe that she can't defeat. And so, um, you know, you have it, the answer be a more personal Mm -hmm. enemy, which is Willow. And then now it's like, what are you left with? And so I think what they're left with is you have to go so big that you can't clearly define the world. Yeah, exactly. And And it's really frustrating to watch because she's fighting a seemingly all-purpose or all-powerful enemy who can do all of these things. And it kind of begs the question, like, well, why not just kill her? Like, yeah. if you can control all of these things, just, like, run her over with a truck. Yeah, like, what, yeah, like, yeah why exactly. go about it all this ways? Like, you could surely accomplish your goals much simpler than this. Yeah, and we I wouldn't ha- have, you know, 15 more episodes to go or whatever. So it's... Yeah, no, I have yeah. to agree. I Like, they've gone too broad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, speaking of mechanics that frustrate me no end mm-hmm. is the ending. Yeah, I know. I, uh, I skipped over one important detail in my summary. <laughs> <laughs> so we see about, you know, one part in the episode, there's this, or maybe it's the beginning of the episode, there's a guy in England and he finds a dead girl on the ground of his apartment and then he's stabbed. And then we don't really know who these people are. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the episode, we see Giles come into his apartment and find him. So clearly this is someone in Giles' network um, and we can assume probably that this girl was killed in the same way that those other girls were that we saw. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually, we can definitely assume that cause we see the, the killers. Um, and then we see Giles look like he got beheaded. Mm-hmm. Well, the ax is swinging directly at his head and then, you know, yeah. cut to fade to black. Yeah. And I remember why they do that. And I'm already infuriated. So there's a lot of things in the next few episodes I think where you can I think what doesn't work for me right now is that I can see the strings Mm -hmm. and I don't like it I don't want to see the strings the part that I like about the show so much is that it doesn't have strings it just seems to work seamlessly yeah uh I guess I don't remember I don't know if I know exactly what you're referring to or not I mean I know that well we'll talk about it next time okay 
I remember that specifically, and I remember being really angry that, like... I mean, I do generally know Giles' fate, but otherwise, yeah. I'm not sure if I know. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Some other uh, stray observations. Uh, I did it. I did for once, you know, credit where credit is due. I thought Xander's questions to Buffy were well stated for once. He didn't come off as petulant this time for suggesting that like, maybe you have a blind. He didn't say maybe you have a blind spot for Spike, but I thought the way he asked his questions to her when she kind of first posed this scenario to him that Spike might be killing again. I thought he was really helpful for once. (laughs) And I also appreciated his joke about, like, why would a vampire lie about that? Is it some bragging thing to be like, my sire could beat up your sire? I thought that was really funny. I also think that that reminds me that I actually really appreciate this. I think Xander feels chastened by what he went through, right? Yeah. With standing Anya up at the altar. And for whatever that decision says about Xander, Mm -hmm. I think watching him interact with Buffy, especially in this episode, I agree. I was really struck by, like, he just seemed like an adult. Like, yeah. this, like she's bouncing things off of him the way she used to do with Giles. Yeah. And I was really impressed that it was Xander in that role, um, but that he also was coming back with very clear-headed, like, objective responses, and he wasn't getting really emotional about the murderer living in his apartment. No. So. <laughs> and he didn't have to say something shitty to her about how she you know, about her sleeping with other guys <laughs> like he normally does. He yeah, just was he like, didn't raise the fact that, you know, maybe she had a blind spot because of some emotional investment in the way that we did. Right. So, yeah. No, yeah. I, I think that's some, that's a good thing to call I thought he had a good strategy. This is a good Xander episode. Yeah. Um, I did enjoy Anya in this episode. I don't remember, and maybe you do. Do we ever... What is Anya doing now? <laughs> Does she ever get another job? Does she? How does she pay for her apartment? I know these really aren't the important questions, but like, do we okay, ever get my a, theory? Do we ever I get a seed of what she's doing? We don't. And I, my theory, because I, I was having the same thought process, mm-hmm. like watching this episode, is like, what is Anya doing? My theory is that Anya really, really, really liked money, and so Anya must have some money saved. Yeah, I mean, she did talk about the stock market, so like maybe she's got like a good East, you know, not Easter egg, a good nest egg. Um, <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Okay. I know it's no, not the important a good thing. Question. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, she was comical. I don't mind her. Um. Okay. My only other thought that I had written to, now that I'm skimming through my notes, in terms of the distinct treatment that. Angel, I'm sorry, that Anya and Spike have gotten. The the other kind of big distinction is that at the end of this episode, Spike specifically asks for help, which I do think is something Anya didn't do, or at least didn't do until... Well, she didn't really ask for help. If anything, she specifically specifically said, I don't want anyone's help. (laughs) Yeah, I think that Anya was very clear about just get out of my life. Yeah. Anyway, it's not a criticism of Anya's choices necessarily, just... At the time, though, Buffy Anya didn't one... have a soul. We are meant right. to assume at this point that she does. So I think she's human again. I I still feel very fuzzy on that. No, she. But... I'm pretty sure she's human. But okay. now, I don't mean about what she's doing now, though. I mean that in terms of Buffy treating her and Spike differently. Spike no, 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 asks I know, for help I'm right saying now, I think. Yeah. Well, now she, they are she... not going to kill her. Yeah. All right. That's but I think yeah. the difference being back when she didn't ask for help, she was still demonic. Sure. I don't. It's such a messy yeah. thread to pull. Um, <laughs> All right. 
Okay, well, maybe the record for the shortest Buffy discussion. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Great. That's, we're done. Because <laughs> I think I'm ready to move on to Angel. I, I I agree with you. I think I did actually like this episode of Angel more than Buffy. I will tell you that I didn't love this episode of Angel, but I did really enjoy it. So, I mean, I've got, it was a yeah. fun episode to watch. It was a fun episode, um, obviously. I the will one, never say. The one elephant in the room notwithstanding. Yes. 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 And that's that's the thing keeping me from loving it. Yeah. And well, probably giving it more than three stars. But Okay. Um, I have a few other nitpicks, but you should tell us about Yeah. About habeas so, corpses. Keep <laughs> say it a few more times too before the end. Yeah. Say the word habeas corpses yes. as many times as possible. Yes. Um so yeah, the apocalypse is more than nowish. It's now this demon has come to LA, the sky is raining fire, Angel has witnessed Connor and Cordelia having sex, and so that's where we kind of pick up is Angel going into like a stairwell or something and like having a tantrum. Yeah. Basically. Like I don't know how else to describe it. There's a lot of yelling. So everybody basically reconvenes at the hotel. They all make it back from their battle with the beast. Fred is back and fielding calls left and right because obviously their customer base is freaking out because they're, you know, the apocalypse is upon them. So they all come back like business as usual. Gunn and Wesley are sniping at each other, but everybody realizes they're safe. Angel tells them Connor and Cordelia are fine. Um, So the next day... um, Everybody's still trying to figure out, like, what they should do. Cordelia shows up at the hotel because Connor has come to think that this beast is there for him or he's connected to it because, again, this thing rose out of the the alley where Connor was born. And he's also really angry because immediately after waking up, Cordelia is like, well, we should not have done that Mm -hmm. and basically tells Connor, like, that wasn't going to happen again and basically tries to retcon this into like the world was ending so she made some bad choices. Um, I'm not giving her the benefit of that. No, fine with me. um, (laughs) So she shows up at the hotel to be like, tell Angel like, hey, like Connor kind of took off because he thinks this is all about him and Angel's like, well, I'm sure he's fine because Angel knows again that Cordelia and Connor slept together and he's really pissed like he's treating Cordelia like really meanly obviously not telling her why um and meanwhile Wesley goes home Lila shows up at his apartment basically to check up on him and realizes he's safe and Wesley promptly breaks up with her Mm -hmm. um and it's kind of implied not outrightly said but acknowledged between both of them that it's Mostly because he's chosen a side because the apocalypse has come, but also slightly because of Fred. That he's chosen the side that she's on and also Lila is no longer working as whatever she was for him because I think reality has crept in, right? Like Lila is still an evil minion of Wolfram and Hart. Um, So Lila goes back to the office. She's doing her, her job, I guess. And Connor shows up at Wolfram and Hart and says... I want to know who I am. I think this is all related to me. And Lila tries to detain him to start running autopsies or whatever they're going to do to him. Um, Obviously, Connor is not easily grabbed, so he kind of fights off the guys. But then immediately the power cuts out. So the Beast has arrived at Wolfram and Hart. And the Beast just goes on a tear through the building, killing lawyers left and right. Um, it's not really clear why he's at Wolfram and Hart. I think there's a lot of speculation, like, 
oh, they're competing for the apocalypse Mm -hmm. because everybody else is assuming they're going to work together. Um, At this point, Angel and gang assume that Wolfram Hart is in on this or at least rah-rah encouraging the apocalypse. Um, Lila's even trying to, like, cut a deal with the Beast to work together. Um, But the Beast is, like, not swayed, just killing people left and right. He stabs Lila. He attacks Connor. And um, Wesley inexplicably it's not really explained why like shows up at Wolfram and Hart and yeah. gets Lila out of the building um but then as, after he rescues her she just casually kind of mentions oh hey by the way like thank you Connor's inside the building and oh by the way Wolfram and Hart has an emergency protocol where the building basically shuts down and locks everyone inside so nobody can get in or out in the event of apocalypse so Wesley goes back to the hotel tells Angel Connor's trapped inside Wolfram and Hart we've got to go get him They all go to um, the law firm to try to rescue Connor. Cordelia is not allowed to go. She's forced to stay behind with Lauren. Um, They do manage to get inside, and they do find Connor, but unfortunately, all these dead lawyers, uh, including Rip Gavin, um, (laughs) are awakening because, for some reason, undetermined, the Beast has the ability to revive the dead into the undead, so they're now facing a horde of um, lawyer corpses. So <laughs> they, they're they trying to escape. There's, like, only two ways in or out. Um, they can't access either of them. And Angel has the aha moment, let's go to the white room. So they go to the room where that little girl was, and Angel's got a plan to ask her to, like, get them out. Um, but what they find when they get there is, like, that's where the beast was heading all along. So the beast is, like, draining this demon, whatever it is, of its essence. And the last thing that this girl does is get them out of there. Um, and she tells Angel, like, some cryptic thing mm-hmm. on the way out. They all end up back at the hotel. Um, everybody's relieved that they survived. Um, Cordelia's like, okay, like, what's next? And Angel's like, get the hell out. Yeah. <laughs> And Cordelia realizes he knows what's up. So. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a full episode. I'm um, sure I forgot some stuff along the way. But, um, oh, well, they also figure out that it's probably unlikely that the Beast is related to Connor in some way. But that actually Connor was born in the alley behind Lauren's old club, which is like a mystical hotspot. Mm. So. I mean, all in, this was very entertaining. It was, yeah, I mean... <laughs> It's a little mini zombie movie. It was a little mini zombie movie. It was everybody having to work together for the first time in a while. You know, they've all been separated. So I think that's the stuff that it made this mostly work. And also, finally, Wesley's back with them. So, you know, like, whether or not they're bickering, yes. at least he's back in the fold. It really does, you know, fill out the dynamic, kind of, with everybody. So I think, yeah, I mean, it looks hard to... It's hard to really be mad at this episode. I mean, there was a zombie Gavin. There were zombie lawyers. Like, that was super fun. I I mean, obviously have a thousand plot hole type nitpicks, but but I thought it was like a, it was a pretty good pace. I, I appreciate that they didn't fling us right back in or right Im- immediately into the kind of emotional fallout of of the rest of the Connor and Cordelia thing. I mean, I'm not sure. I don't know if that makes it better or worse, but I definitely am ha- I'm happy to not deal with it for another week, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Even I mean, I know it was there, but it was pretty minimal. No, it's... I agree with you. I think it was great to see everybody on screen because it has felt a little fractured with Wesley off doing, you know, his 
side gig with his side crew and Lila and like you know there is reference that Wesley has his own crew now and you know but he's clearly here to help in the event of the apocalypse um and I actually I mean I'm a little I'm like still annoyed with the like love triangle but it does make for some interesting dynamics I mean Gunn and Wesley are just pretty much awful to each other yeah um Fred's it's, it's hard to tell if she's oblivious as to the cause or if she's just, like, impatient with them for acting like little boys. Angel's sh- certainly impatient with them. But then Angel's got his own drama with Cordelia, and he's the only one knows what's going on. So, like, I think I'm still frustrated that Cordelia is still on the outside in a way. Yeah. And, like, you know, again, because of the annoying part I really wish we didn't have to talk yeah. about. But, um, <laughs> you know, like, that they're not totally whole. But, like, it is interesting to see these dynamics as they do try to come back together. But, you know, I was thinking about it, watching it, like, this gang has been separated for a really long time, mm-hmm. if you think about it. Like, you know, Wesley, even before the ends of the events of the end of last season, like, Wesley was starting to drift kind of separate. Like, he and Angel weren't talking to each other about their concerns. Everybody was kind of operating in a silo. And so it's been almost a full season since this gang has really been integrated together. And, you know, it also kind of makes me think, like, they almost never really were. Like, this this group, more than the Buffy gang, is a gang of convenience, yeah. right? Like, you know, Gunn has come in because he found a crew that is fighting evil just like him. He's clearly invested now because of Fred. Um, Fred just found a home after the trauma of Pylea. And, you know, really the only two that were there that seemed to be there more because they wanted to be is Cordelia and Angel. And I think that's part of the reason why their relationship works so well is, like, they're they're close. But, Nick, now it's like your core relationship is essentially going through a breakup and everybody else is just hanging on by a bare thread because like everybody has also had like these horrible things happen to them yeah so it's really interesting to watch and like it's it's frustrating on one level because you know objectively that all of these things are happening underneath the surface and a better written show with this would make for fantastic television right, right. um <laughs> But it's sort of like they just accidentally stumble into it. And I guess this is a really long-winded way of me saying that I do feel like it was firing not on all cylinders, but, like, it was firing on most of the cylinders at this point. I, I Like I said, I can't give it full credit because we still have to deal with the aftermath of the annoying plot. Yeah. A plot point that didn't have to happen, okay? Yeah. But, you know, and, and it also introduces this weird, like, almost Oedipal drama, right? It like, does, when you think about yeah. it, like, Connor was definitely, like, Cordelia was a bit of a surrogate mother to him when he was a baby, and, like, now it does have this kind of Oedipus, like, Mm -hmm. concept, but I've never liked that story, so (laughs) I'm not really interested in watching, you know, watching that play out on Angel. I think the, I mean, the Cordelia aspect of it is really infuriating. I mean, I hated watching her do that in the last episode. I really hated her treat Connor that way in this episode, you know? And it was like, oddly, this episode definitely swung me around on Connor's side, at least for a minute, because he's just so distraught with, like, getting his heart broken and then realizing that he might be, you know, or, you know, grappling with the fact that he might be the cause of all this unspeakable evil and, like, that he really doesn't have a home. Like, you know, I guess I just, I felt for Connor and that I pretty much have never felt for him in the entire run of his existence in this show. So, like, kudos to the show for that. I think what you're saying about them not really ever having been a team is really interesting. And I think you're right. Um, And I'm curious how that gets resolved because I don't think it was a flaw that it wasn't 
you know, everything didn't magically mesh in this episode, but that they're finally all coming back together again. I don't remember if we really get the, the payoff of them maybe committing more, um, um, what's God, I can't think of words tonight multiple times. Um, (laughs) but them expressly committing to the mission and to each other as a team, I don't know. I don't remember if I don't that know, happens because or I not, feel like so much of their it would be nice team has been about circumstances. Like we've definitely seen instances where Angel and Wesley have both said to someone on the team, "Like you don't have to like me. We don't have to get right. along, but we're we're a team, and I'm in charge." Yeah. Like <laughs> you know, it's we've definitely had everyone at some point have that conversation with another character of like we're here because this is the mission, not because we're like you know. Contrast it to when Wesley joined the team and. Cordelia was sort of welcoming him to like a family. Yeah, where she yeah. Was like, no. Sometimes Angel makes eggs, and it's like this whole cozy kind of domestic scene. Whereas, you know, then it kind of expands outwards, and it's like, you know, Angel and Gunn. I think specifically had some interactions where it was like, like, yeah. you don't have to think I'm a good person or you don't have to like me, but like I'm in charge. You have to listen to me. I can't have you on my team if you don't. Like they definitely had that conversation. Right. What's most heartbreaking is that. Of any of the new people, Wesley and Gunn had a friendship. Right. And it, to have it... Also, it's a little bit frustrating, too. I mean, as much as I think the treatment of the women has been bad, I feel like it kind of does a disservice to Gunn and Wesley to have them totally dissolve this friendship over Fred, who yeah. they never gave a chance even to acknowledge like that this is something that happened. And, you know, also that they're both adults and, like, I mean, I think Wesley tried to say, like, she made a choice, but, like, Gunn always was a little bit petty about it, and, you know, he and Wesley have never had a good, solid relationship Mm -hmm. since they both realized they had feelings for Fred, and I just don't like having her be the catalyst for, like, that falling apart, when really it's not, like, their problems are because Wesley... Really, it should be because Wesley did betray the team in the last season, even though he thought he was doing it for the right reasons. But, like, to now turn it into this petty grudge match over Fred is, like... Yeah. It's really frustrating to watch. It makes them seem like children. And it's... I just feel like, given the history of that dynamic, where it was, like, this really solid friendship that they built, like... Sometimes I watch this show and I'm like... Did Wesley really take a gunshot for gun? Like, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> it was so long ago. <laughs> but I guess, I guess my point wasn't to say, wasn't to criticize that they've fallen apart or kind of all of those things. But now that they're together, I mean, are they together for good? I genuinely don't remember. I, I mean, I know. I think they're they are like very briefly, but like, yeah. no, because then immediately you have more drama. If they could just so. talk their problems through it would have solved 80% of the conflict in this show. Look there would guys, be the no show. Communication <laughs> cannot be underestimated. Okay. If you're yeah. having a problem with somebody, it's going to be uncomfortable and it's going to make you sad and you might cry, but you should talk yeah. it out. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so I guess that stuff aside, you know, whose relationship continues to be the source of light for me, even when they're breaking up. <laughs> I Wesley and Lila, Lila was so yes. amazing in this episode. I really, really loved her. I and again, I pretty sure this isn't the last time we see her. But she did. Kind I was of really get, trying I, to. I remember. genuinely can't remember. And at a minimum, this was definitely treated as something of a send off for her. I, I hope she's at least not back next week to make me look like a jerk. But like, I'm pretty sure she's at least going to be gone for a minute. You know, she had to. But yeah, like I. Really, we've seen, like, she really is in love with Wesley. I mean, and who can blame her? But 
you know, he's not, he's not interested. I think he handled it at least in this episode about as well as, as he could. I appreciated the way that they broke up. I mean, there was certainly drama and certainly hurt feelings, but I didn't think anybody was behaving like a child, which is not something we can say for almost anyone else on the show in almost any other circumstance. So like, Good on them. I mean, Lila did embarrass herself and it was heart wrenching, but like, because you could tell that it, what you knew exactly what was coming and you knew that she did too. I don't know. It was just heartbreaking more, even more than it was embarrassing and not like, cringe-worthy. Also, it was just sad. Did you get the sense watching that breakup scene where I was like, I feel like in any other context, Wesley telling her like, don't embarrass yourself would be like a really mean thing to say. But I also was thinking about yeah. it like, He's talking to Lila. He knows, like, that's the only thing that's going to get through to her, that she can handle something like that, but that she needs to hear the harshness yeah. to, like, really understand. And and it's almost sad in a way because they had that brief five minutes of, like, we're in a relationship, yeah, like, uh-huh. and, like, and Wesley was the first one to kind of take that step, but then, you know, Lila just... And she never apologized for it, and I do really appreciate that, is that Lila was always honest with him. I agree. Like, that, like, their relationship was happening, but she was still... Working for Wolfman Hart, she was never going to not be working for Wolfman Hart. She was never going to change. And so really we see that like Wesley came to the realization that that was never going to work for Mm -hmm. him. Like he was kind of dabbling in this like renegade lifestyle. But like at the end of the day, he's still Wesley. But I mean, yes, he's still in love with Fred. But like also Lila being on the side of evil was never going to be something that would work out long term. But like I do think that... Their dynamic, I'm gonna miss. It I really so am much. too. Like and I think it yeah. was like it was weirdly this antagonistic relationship in a way, but I feel like it was a relationship of respect. It like, was. I, feel like they I really mean, for the most part, footing with each other. Yeah, they had. Yeah. yeah, and I have to say that I agree with you, and I think that that is definitely the reason that you know, I mean, it's clearly the reason that um, uh, Wesley's pulling the plug now. But I think that that really goes both ways. I don't think it's not that Lila thinks this is going to work out because she also knows that she's been putting these things ahead. And if, if he doesn't commit to being evil, that they don't have a future. And she knows that too. I think she's just really, she's not ready to let it go. And he, you know, makes the call, which is again, why it's kind of like a respectable breakup in that. Like, it's not that either of them thought it was going to work out. They were, you know, I think she just hoped that they had a little bit more time and he realizes that someone needs to pull the plug. It's totally rational or totally reasonable rather, not really rational, but, um, I liked that, but to go back or to continue, I mean, I really liked the way that they did help each other out. I mean, like they were still there for each other in these final moments, you know, where she is not going to let Wesley die if she has some piece of information that's going to be helpful. And he is honestly, I think, telling her the best advice that he thinks he can give her, which is like, you need to go and you need to make a new life for yourself because this isn't, you can't do this anymore. I don't know. I just really thought her like send off was like, or like her final scene and them saying goodbye was just like even more appropriate to their relationship as like an ending. I don't know. I really, I I really liked it. (laughs) Did he explain how he knew to go to Wolfram? No, I don't think so. I don't know why he was there. That was the part that I felt like a little bit out of left field. And I, I don't know why he was there, but it, it did feel like this great moment of like, Wesley, I think, I guess he knew where the beast was and he went to get Lila, but, like, it was also really, I found that, I actually found it kind of touching that he did it and they both recognized that it didn't, it wasn't this, like, romantic gesture. Like, it was just that he cared about her and he wanted to make sure she she was safe. Kind of like her checking in on him in the beginning was, like, even if this relationship is ending, I need to know that you lived through this night. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, and also, like, just that moment, too, where, like, Connor grabs a sword to, like, go after the beast, and Lila is all business, gets the gun. Yeah, like, We've talked know, before how, like, like, guns on this show are really jarring in this universe because we don't see them very often, but I do think that when they pull them out, it is effective. Like, it's like when you know that they, they, they're like, we mean business, we're using this modern technology mm-hmm. against you. Like, we can see it all the way back to when, like, Darla pulled out the guns in season one of Buffy. Yeah. When Buffy fought the judge with the, the rocket launcher. Mm-hmm. When Wesley, even in the last episode, was going after the beast, like, last resort, mm-hmm. I've got a shotgun. And then Lila is like, you got a sword, I got a yeah. gun. Like, it doesn't do anything, but it does have this moment of, like, yeah, she's the only one thinking rationally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I think yeah. my your questioning of Wesley is definitely my biggest critique of this episode. I mean, this is just full of conveniences and God machines kind of all over the place. You know, there's to start with, you know, back in, I don't know, season one, there was a whole episode that was just about breaking into Wolfram and Hart. Meanwhile, now... Willy nilly, literally just everybody it. just shows up whenever they want. Like, okay, you may, they make a couple jokes about it sometimes, but it's like, how did Connor get in there so easily? Okay, whatever, I'll move past that. But then, yeah, I mean, how does Wesley know where to find them? Oh, Lila says there's absolutely no way out of this building. And then when pressed with simply one follow up question, she's like, oh, wait, you're right. There is an there is an escape. Like, what? like, OK, OK, just nothing means anything kind of in terms of like the rules of this building and this law firm. And that is a little bit frustrating. And then I know that you and I don't agree on the white space and that little girl specifically. But that really I was just like, oh, this again, this is how we're getting out of this. Like, that was not satisfying to me. Especially because it's like, I I don't feel, again, kind of like with the Big Bad in season seven of Buffy, sometimes they try to make these things that are like so, um, I guess they try really, they're just trying so hard to make it impressive that it just falls apart. Because I'm like, what are her powers? What is she doing? Why would that beast care about her? Like, we really didn't get enough information about like her role in this world and her role in their group. To, to, for me to care that, like, the beast was killing her. I was like, great, well, whatever, get them out of the building. <laughs> so this is, there's, like, two parts to this. One part, I enjoyed this whole process because Angel's bragging about his photographic memory I know, and, and I was, he, like, barely remembers the sure. code. Like, I enjoyed that moment. But, like, yes, he was like, oh, the white room. And I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, I had totally yeah. forgotten about that girl. So, like, it means nothing because, like, as a viewer, you're not like, go to the white room, go to the right, white room. Right, like, right, right, right. What white room? Oh, yeah. Oh, Yeah, right. then you have to really like, <laughs> jog your memory to be like, okay, what significance could this possibly have? Like, Right, and then we have to care that the beast is killing yeah. her. And like, <laughs> no, like, I, I don't. don't. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> yeah, and there's no way in this building except for clearly six people get into this building. There's no way out of this building except for the t- two huge exits out of the building. Like, those kinds of things are, are a little bit frustrating. Uh, you know, we sort of touched on this, too, and I I just, I, I think the thing that really, sorry, just to go back to a frustrating dynamic that they just have not ironed out and maybe never will is this love triangle between gun, um, Fred and Wesley is like every time Wesley and gun argue about it, I like scream at them. Like she can make her own choices. You know what I'm like? Yes. Fred is a and perfectly capable person. Choices, so move on. And even just when then, then they're talking about other, like there was, there must've been some moment where they were like, she has to leave. And someone was like, she can stay. And I was like, she's literally standing right there. Like, why don't you let her make the choice? It was, it was so patronizing. And like that part, I really don't think that ever goes away. And it is so irritating. Like Fred, honestly, you do better than either of these guys. Like don't treat her like a child and like an object. She's 
clearly capable. She's done a lot for herself already at this point, and she's overcome more than probably either of you guys. So like, well, at least equivalent to, (laughs) I can't make that judgment, but you know what I mean? I, I don't know if this was an intentional acting choice, but you know what I really did enjoy was the moment when Angel was like, Cordelia, you're staying. He was like, I can't have you go. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, and then he's like, Fred, get a move on. And then it was like, and then she just kind of looks at Cordelia, like she has a little smirk on her face. (laughs) Like, oh, I'm the golden girl today. (laughs) I don't know if that was like supposed to be in there, but I was like chuckling a little bit that Fred would be both like mystified that this was happening and also like a little proud that she got the tap to go. Yeah. (laughs) Which obviously is because like she can, she is getting better at fighting, but also she can provide like the technical assistance. It's true. Like, yeah. That whole elevator scene wouldn't work if Fred couldn't hotwire it. Yeah. But yeah. I, I did have a little chuckle at that. Like she was kind of like, not getting in the middle of this, but also yay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, overall, pretty fun. I feel like it was this has been a, a mildly satisfying apocalypse, you know? Yeah. I, again, like yeah, I would say of all the angel apocalypses, this is the one that's annoyed me the yeah, least. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like do I care that he killed the girl in the white space not at all, but otherwise, I thought he was a a fairly good like you know, like I'm complaining about how like sometimes not knowing the mechanics of like how their powers work or who they are can can really get get on my nerves and really bother me and hinder my like ability to understand what's going on, whereas I think this the beast is a pretty good example of like the opposite, which is that like I guess it's because he's familiar enough in like the way that they've designed his, you know, his actual costume and kind of like the general things that are going along with him, like fire from the sky and earthquake, you know, like it's a little bit more generic so that they don't really need to give us all the details for me to understand, you know, and then we see like enough fights with him to just understand how physically powerful he is. And I feel like that's kind of the opposite case of where it's like, actually, I'm glad you're not giving me any more because frankly, who cares? <laughs> you know, he doesn't, he's not, he clears, yeah. he seems to not really be verbose. And so if he's not going to talk, I don't really care. <laughs> you're enjoying the He's mystery. a good, um, for the third time, I can't think of a word that I want. Um, juggernaut, I guess. Yeah. Like he's just an unstoppable force and that's kind of his whole role. And so we don't really need other details. Like that's enough of a known quantity to be like good enough. So Yeah. And I don't know if I'm rem- I'm remembering correctly, but I think he might be a red herring. <laughs> I'm yeah. <laughs> so, TBD. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well. Um, yeah, that's what I've got. Well, habeas corpses, B plus. B plus. Yeah, I agree with that. All right. Well, uh, what do we have next time? Never leave me, on Buffy. Okay. Sure. And mm-hmm. long day's journey on Angel. Okay. Don't really know specifically out yep, the gate what either of those are. That's not illuminating at all. <laughs> so, and it ends their streak of good good Yeah, news. it's true. <laughs> okay, do you have any pop culture recommendations for us this mm, time? Well, I was trying to keep it spooky, but I actually have a thing that's not spooky. So, um, I on a whim, we ended up seeing Parasite this weekend. It was really good. Oh, I've seen a bunch of stuff on Twitter I had it, about how amazing it had. I didn't know any... I mean... I'm sorry but for I, you. I, but I also saw everybody was like, it's amazing going Yeah, down. exactly. I was like, I literally didn't know. Like, I got the briefest of snippets about it. And it really is the best way to see pretty much any movie. Very rarely am I like, oh, I wish I had known more about that going into it. O- only if it's something that you think you can need to, like, emotionally prepare for. And this was, like, 
it wasn't happy and there were, you know, there were, there were upsetting things about it, but it was, you know, it wasn't like so heavy that you need to be warned. So other than that, I would say like, yeah, don't, I don't want to tell you too much about it. It was a very interesting film. It was a really odd, oddly successful, like thriller drama, but very funny. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's not that odd, but like it was, it, it was very clever. It was very clever. It was super interesting to watch. Totally would go see it or would recommend it. And now I'm like, I'm appalled at myself that I haven't seen any of the director's other films. Cause we're, it's like, he's done a whole bunch of stuff. And I was like, I haven't seen that. I haven't seen that. I haven't seen that. He did Snowpiercer. He did the host. He did, um, that one that was on Netflix with that weird big creature. Okja. Snowpiercer is a movie that I feel like I'm always intending to get to eventually, and I just like never have. Yeah. Uh, Oh, if you, even if you don't see the movie or if you decide you're not going to see it, there was also a pretty great profile of the director in Vulture um, that came out over the weekend, I think. And uh, he had this great story about uh, uh, getting, Snowpiercer was like, uh, you know, it's, it's in English and he like got it, like Harvey Weinstein decided to like get the distribution rights for it or something. I'm a little bit fuzzy on those specific details, but basically it, Harvey Weinstein was going to put the movie out. And so there, <laughs> I guess he, you know, he was like, I'll put it out, but you got to make all these changes, which is like his whole thing. Anyway, it's a very charming story, which is basically that like Harvey Weinstein kept making cut scenes and cut scenes and cut scenes. And he was like, you're ruining my movie. <laughs> I don't want to cut any of these. And the only way he got him to save one scene was by, there's a scene where somebody guts a fish and he was like, no, 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 you can't cut that scene. My it's dedicated to my father. He was a fisherman. And Harvey Weinstein was like, well, why did you just say so? Of course you could keep it. And he was like, my dad's not a fisherman. <laughs> he just said that. <laughs> Anyway, and then also he ended up more or less getting to keep it intact. They just released it on like an indie arm and whatnot. So, yeah, I think we've since learned not to trust the judgment of Harvey Weinstein. Yeah, but But it's fun to hear him getting duped. But something so silly, too. Like, okay. anyway, uh, do you have any recommendations? No, I am pop culture free. Um, I like really haven't been. I mean, I've been reading stuff. It's just not stuff I'm going to, like, recommend. It's, like, I mean, it's good. It's just, like, boring. Okay. So, um... Those those can both be true, I guess. <laughs> well, we're also really close closing in on um, the end of Six Feet Under, so I'm very excited about that. Oh, cool. Yeah. Made good progress, but I'm also not. it's only... Yeah, I was thinking the other day, I was like, I am really not, like, watching anything right now. Like, I was like, oh, yeah, I have, like, two TV shows that I'm, like, keeping up with, and I just, like, I don't know. I mean, like, I, I think I go through cycles yeah. where, like, I'm either, like, really into, like, watching stuff or, like, reading stuff, and then I'm, like, kind of in a dry spell. Yeah. No, that makes sense. So, yeah. Because um, I'm, like, really, I think I'm really making an effort right now to, like, read things and, like, get through my stack of books, mm-hmm. but, like... I haven't read anything that's like amazing. Although I am starting Daisy Jones and the Six, I'm very excited about that. I don't know that, anything so. about that. Well, if it turns out to be as good as I think it's going to be, okay. I'll definitely be recommending <laughs> it. So we'll see. Hmm. Um, All right. Okay. So what team are you oh. on? Uh, team Lila. Yeah, I was going to say, I think just in case it's yeah. the last time. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. But also she was my favorite person in either of these episodes. Yeah, she usually is. And you know, it's so funny because I, I didn't always love no, Lila. No, I agree. Like she really, I think, turned a mm-hmm. corner. They really blossomed her into this like really complicated, nuanced, interesting person. Yeah, for a long time she was just really boring, like 
fighting with Lindsay all the time was not that interesting. And I think even now, like, I'm a little relieved that Gavin died. Yeah, because that wasn't Watching fun. them argue was just really boring. Yeah. So it was like, corporate dynamics, like petty power struggles are not as interesting. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> I mean, I think the, the interesting thing is supposed to be the contrast that they're doing that with the backdrop of like an evil law firm. But like, it was funny at yawn. first. And then it was like, all right, we, we get it. For, like, season yeah. one, but to have to still go through that, I mean, like, I like, um, oh, I'm going to sound terrible. I forget his name. The actor who plays Gavin. Oh, yeah. But, Daniel Day Kim? Yes, thank you. Daniel Day Kim. I really like him. I think he's a great actor, and I actually really like him on the show. But, like, honestly, the fact that he was just Lila's rival yeah, was, I know. Like, he, super boring. He never got much more than that. He was just... He was more interesting when he was going after Angel with building yeah. permits. Yeah, so. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. All, right. All right. Well, we'll be back next time for those two episodes you mentioned that I already forgot yeah. their names. So, Great. I'll yeah. talk to you later. Cool. Once More with Commentary is produced by me, Allie. And me, Ginny. Our theme music is from the album Rockingham by Nerf Herder. And our podcast logo is by Ryan Cooney. You can email us at scoobies at oncemorewithcommentary.com with any feedback, questions, comments that you have, and find us on Twitter and Instagram at OMWC Podcast. You can also find our most recent episodes and any show notes at oncemorewithcommentary.com.